Well, we'll have to salute uh, this man in the annals of crime from Moscow. You never hear about crime from Moscow. A man wishing to protect his garden from thieves planted homemade mines on its approaches. And he proved their effectiveness by blowing himself up while drunk. <laughs> he mined his garden. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Now, that's not so funny. Do you realize that one of the big problems that's going on these days is, uh, no, uh, is broccoli thieves are sneaking into gardens all over the West Coast and they're hijacking broccoli? Yeah, did you read about it in the Times? I mean, you know, they go in and they pick it, you know, at night. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, speaking of, uh, of uh, great uh, moments in life, uh, uh, I've, I've never been... Uh, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you a, 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 a question here, a total trivia question. I'm sitting the other day, saying I happened to be in this bar where they had a ball game out. Say it was with a lot of people, and we're sitting. Oh, what's the matter? Nothing wrong with bars. It's what you do in bars, Joe, that makes the difference. I mean, that's like saying the other day I was in this bedroom. But look, a lot of stuff can go on in a bedroom. I'm just a. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, actually, I'll tell you what I was doing in there. No, 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 no. Are you curious what I always drink when I go to bars? I have this uh, this uh, soda water. With a little ice, a twist of uh, lime, lime peel, just a little twist of lime peel. That's right. And I, I play my violin a lot, indeed. Uh, so uh, you can see that I'm very popular in many bars when I do that. But nevertheless, I'm sitting there with this bunch, this crowd, see, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking up at the TV set, which was in the corner. And uh, I was attempting to disengage myself, actually, from the ridiculous conversation which was going on. And I'm, you know, I'm not paying much attention to the TV. I'm looking at the TV there, and, and they got a ball game on. Well, now you know, often when the ball game ends, they will say the announcer says, and, and so there it goes again. The Yankees have lost their 347th game out of the last 395th, and uh, now we return you to a program now in progress, which means they're going to an ancient movie. You see this filmy, hazy film come up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so, something like Our Miss Brooks. Uh, it's amazing that uh, this type of TV show is still being shown on the channels that show baseball. You know, Our Miss Brooks, uh, the Robert Cummings show, uh, all these great winners of a thousand years ago. And suddenly I'm looking at this screen. It's hazy. I would never in a million years have watched this. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And it's a it's a it's a sketch out of an ancient TV show, the kind of stuff that you'd never see today any longer on television. You notice TV never satirizes TV on TV? Well they didn't they did in the past. I am watching this comic. Who was it? By the way, I'm not much of a fan of his, but he is watching a game show. He's looking at this game show, which is on TV. And I'm watching it on TV, remember. And the game show is an insane game show, like all game shows are. You know, with balloons that blow up and lights that flash in the back. And the show was called Hold the Cuckoo. <laughs> Hold the Cuckoo. And, and I, I said, wait a minute, you guys. Wait a minute, just a minute. I'm going to watch this. And, and the, the entire premise of the show was he's watching this guy on, on the game show. He's a typical game show type manic 
uh, MC. Who are these guys? They're all named names like Manny. And uh, have you seen those guys that do these game shows in the daytime? Hundreds of them. They all look exactly alike. They all look a little bit like debauched Dick Clarks. The whole crowd of them. They run around and uh, you know they get all excited over the stuff. And he's watching this game show. And at that point, the announcer looks right out and says, "And that's today's edition of Hold the Cuckoo." And you hear this great roar of applause in the background. And Larry, if you'd like to be on the game, if you'd like to come and help us hold the cuckoo, uh, here's where you go. And he on comes the screen, go to the studio, see. <laughs> and sure enough, he says, I got to go on this thing. So I may win a prize. He's broke. He's down. And the entire sketch was about this comic trying to get on the game show and his discovery that they're all totally fixed. Hold the cuckoo. Let's hear some Hold the Cuckoo music. Thank you, Joe. Just get the machine going, and let's hear it. Now, who, who's the comic? And it was, it was a replay of a TV show that he had. I had even forgotten that he actually had a television show. In early television, I'll give you a clue. It was a pair. It was not Laurel and Hardy. No, no. This was a TV show. Laurel and Hardy were long since dead when TV... That's right. Did you know that there was a television show called The Abbott and Costello Show? I didn't. I didn't remember this. <laughs> and I, I looked at this thing and I said, I can't believe it, you know. And here it was. It was faded. God knows how many times this thing had been shown, you know, on television stations all over the country. But it was the 3,948th replay of an ancient segment of the Abbott and Costello show. And it's centered around this fantastic game, Hold the Cuckoo. And every five minutes you hear, Cuckoo, 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 for no reason at all. Just out of the blue. Cuckoo, 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 Cuckoo. And then lights would flash. And the guy said, Oh, you did not hold the cuckoo. Let's give him a big hand. Sorry, fella, but you did win a refrigerator. You want a case of beer? That's 722 bicycle tires. Let's give him a big hand. And then, Cuckoo, Cuckoo, Cuckoo. I thought, my God, television hasn't changed a bit. They're still holding the cuckoo every morning at 10 a.m. on ABC. <laughs> All right, hold it, hold it, hold it there. Now, now let's do a show here tonight on the, on the showbiz, right? What do you say, huh? You like the idea of hold the cuckoo? I thought that was such a great... Great name for a, a totally nonsensical game show. Hold the cuckoo. And they never explained to him what it meant, you know. That was what the confusion was about. Uh, it, 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 he'd say, well, I did what? What? And then you're, cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. He'd say, you didn't hold the cuckoo. He says, what cuckoo? And then a rubber cuckoo would come down and flap and go up again. <laughs> Who the hell watches that stuff in the daytime? I just wonder. You know, uh, while we're on the subject of... Uh, TV and that whole business. Uh, before we do any more, let's let's have a couple of commercials here, quick, Joe. Uh, hit hit the Duvernay spot first. What do you say? They say there's a time in life for everything. For Duvernay, the time is before. Before that's the time to think about some Duvernay to drink. Before's the proper time of day to have yourself a Duvernay. Before, yeah, before. Some wines are made to go with lunch or dinner, some after. 
But Dubonnet tastes different because it's made to go before. Before the steak, before whatever you've got cooking. Just pour it over the rocks. Add a twist. Soda if you like. That's Dubonnet before. Made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Oh, yes, that's very nice. And uh, let's see, we have another little goodie here for you. This is good news for some kids out there. It's a, it's a commercial for a school. One of the most dramatic changes in the field of independent school education is the desire of today's student to retain his family and community identity while preparing for college. And this change has prompted the Cheshire Academy of Cheshire, Connecticut, to introduce a five-day boarding plan which starts the 17th of September. That's the semester. And this is a, an elegant, fine uh, prep school. In fact, the Cheshire Academy has an outstanding record of placing college candidates in colleges throughout the United States. And after 179 years, the average class size is still only 13 students. Hey, that, that means they started right after this country was a country. Stop thinking about it. 179 years. Let's see, the country would be 200 years old in 76, right? So they, uh, they've been around. Uh, they still have some openings in most grades, and to solve any transportation problems, the Academy also will arrange for weekend bus transportation from selected metropolitan areas. Cheshire offers a college preparatory course, grades 7 to 12, and postgraduate work. There's also a co-ed day school community with local transportation arrangements. Now, if you want to find out about it, you can call them at area 203-272-5396. That's area 203-272-5396. And um, I think I'll save those, those other two for later, okay? Do you mind? You know, speaking of, uh, of commercials, uh, elegant commercials, you know, for prep schools, did you know, did you ever hear of an outfit called Croc? C-R-O-C, Croc. You didn't know about Croc, huh? Well, you better know about it. It's very important. It's uh, because it affects you. It's the Committee for Rejection of Obnoxious Commercials. <laughs> it's, a, it's an outfit that, uh, that awards its yearly awards uh, for the worst commercials of the year. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, according to the National Survey of Various Media People. In other words, it's not just a three guys in the basement figured this out. Croc. You, you want to know the commercials that won this year's Croc Awards? They call them the Lemmies. Lemmies, which are, are referred to lemmings. Right? Uh, the Croc Award. The, uh, the, there were ten of them given out of the worst commercials of the year. See if your favorite commercial is on it. Crest Toothpaste won one for the commercial in which an arrogant brat interrupts his father, busy at work, often doing things like newscasting, uh, playing football, uh, many other things, to announce that because of Crest, he has fewer cavities. You've seen that? Daddy, Daddy, I have no cavities. Oh, man, come on, not now, kid. You're going to kick him in the gut. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Playtex Cross Your Heart Bra, in which the boy does not recognize his girl because she is wearing a new bra. Have you seen that one? Okay, that one, a, a Lemmy for this year. It's one of the worst commercials. How about Imperial Margarine, in which a crown appears on the head of a man when he bites into a slice of uh, of margarine bread. That's, <laughs> you've seen that one? 
<laughs> that one a crock. Uh, here's, a, I think, an outstanding crock commercial. Mitchum antiperspirant, which shows a large, bare-chested fellow leaning out of bed announcing that because of Mitchum, he did not have to use a deodorant yesterday and does not plan to use one again today. In fact, one guy who voted in the crock ballot, he says, and no wonder he's sleeping alone. Because <laughs> that one won a crock. Uh, here's another one. Hour after hour deodorant won a crock award in which a housewife in a tracksuit is shown running around the kitchen constantly trying to keep it spotless. You see that one? That's a crocker. Uh, Folgers Coffee won a crock award. We'd like to salute that gang at Folgers, which suggests that bad marriage can break up, bad coffee can break up a good marriage. You've seen that one? Oh, that's a goodie. Well, here's one of your favorites I see has made it. Charmin Toilet Paper. Uh, which shows a group of half-crazed women pouncing on poor, effeminate store manager, Mr. Whipple, uh, <laughs> screaming to, the, to be allowed to squeeze the Charmin. says, what do they want? Why to squeeze the Charmin, of course. There's been some talk that this is a new type of fetishism which is growing in America, the squeezing the toilet paper fetishism. But uh, nevertheless, this is a crock winner. Uh, Geritol wins a crock award which shows a woman winning her husband's approval by taking Geritol. And he says in the end, uh, my wife, I think I'll keep her. He says generously. Have you seen that one? Okay, speaking of croc, this is WOR, New York, and RKO General Station. Whisk detergent wins one. Oh, this is a, the, in which a parrot shrieks, ring around the collar, ring around the collar, and at a guilt-ridden housefrau who neglected to use whisk. <laughs> I thought the worst one was remember the one with the Hawaiian. The, uh, this, these guys are getting off. This man and woman are getting off the boat and the cruise ship in Hawaii, and this girl comes along and the you know the Hawaiian girl. You've seen that one? Oh man! So uh, the the crock commercials uh, we got to hand it to them. I, I think there were some worse ones than that though. Personally, myself crock. Uh, like uh, my one of my favorite bad commercials is these two girls walking along the beach, having a very serious discussion of uh, of a very intimate uh, product, and she keeps saying, "You have you tried it? Really? Yes, it's safe. Have you seen that one? Well, I'll let you think about that one. Uh, you just don't. Uh, and one of my favorite bad commercials is the one in which the which the lady call she's calling another lady." She says, Marge, uh, I, just for, for the first time in years, Marge, I, I need a laxative. And I'm here at the drugstore, and I just don't know what to buy. They have so many. They have candy types. They have the types that you mix with water. They have the kinds that come in pink bottles. I just don't know what to do. Now, apparently, Marge has a lot of problems in, the, in that department because Marge is considered an expert on the field of uh, laxatives. Because then you hear Marge say, <laughs> And the woman says, Magnesia? Uh, Phillips Mag Milk of Magnesia? Doctors do? Doctors do? Huh. Oh, you mean doctors do recommend it? And then she hangs up and I thought, oh, that's one of the most unlikely conversations I've ever seen on television. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody call you up and ask you what kind of a laxative they should use? Have you? No. But, of course, you don't live an official life if you did. Uh, uh, people would do that kind of thing. 
Uh, yeah, and, and there's long involved discussions uh, constantly between people about deodorants. I, I don't recall ever discussing deodorants with Skidmore. Never. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but they, they, they have these very serious ones. And, uh, uh, <laughs> but, of course, the, the, uh, I think the, the Croc Awards are growing, and uh, I'm, I'm, I want to salute the Croc people out there. In case you're interested in the name of the group, again, it's the Committee for Rejection of Obnoxious com Commercials. Croc. And they're going to have their Lemmy Awards again next year. And there's many an advertising agency vying for it, and from what I've seen, yeah. Uh, one of my most unfavorites is, is the one where these two guys are looking at you. One says, would you believe what they put in a sandwich? How do you feel, huh? The other one says, eh. That's the way I feel. Oh, I need a alka <laughs> Obnoxious commercial number seven. Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a growing uh, trend in our time to look at showbiz with uh, a jaundiced eye. Speaking of showbiz, hey, I got something for you here. Really great. Wait a minute. Where is it here? <laughs> Don't tell me I left this up upstairs. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Oh, it's too bad. Uh, I didn't leave any papers in there, did I, Jerry? Just look around up there on the top there. See if there's anything in there. No. No, I guess I did. So forget it. I'll have to do it some other time. But uh, uh, I got the... You know, uh, showbiz has taken over so much uh, in our world today. And I think I think the whole Watergate syndrome is is beginning to take part in our world. In other words, winning at all costs. <laughs> the win, man. That's what it's about. Have you been following this soapbox derby thing? Isn't that a fantastic story? And and uh, and and you know this this kid had this this uh, soapbox derby with what they described as an electromagnetic device. That sounds like an electric motor to me. <laughs> After all, what is an electromagnetic... A motor is. An electric motor is an electromagnetic device. Agreed? I mean, did you know that motors run on magnetism? And uh, they didn't come out and say it's an electric motor. It's an electromagnetic device. So I could just... And, and, and uh, apparently the, the car, one of the cars that won the year before, they, they spent between ten dollars and $20,000 on building it. Did you hear that? And, uh, yeah, it, it even spent uh, some time in the wind tunnel at, uh, I believe, the University of California testing it to, to, you know, get the proper aerodynamics and all that stuff. And, yeah, I don't know whether any of you know anything about the soapbox derby. Do you? Do you ever have anything to do with it, Jerry? How about you? Well, you're listening to an ex-contestant. That's right. I, I, I was involved for three straight years in building a soapbox derby, the car. Now, for those of you who don't know what the soapbox derby is, or it still is, it's a big deal, you know, in a lot of areas. What it is, it's a yearly race. Uh, they have all kinds of regional, uh, sectional, and semifinal uh, eliminations until finally the kids that have won all these sectional eliminations finally arrive at the big final race. And that's what the scandal is about. The kid that won it this year has been disqualified because he had, quote, an electromagnetic device in his car. And uh, it's a very complex thing. But has, has it ever occurred to you 
that no matter what kind of competition the kids get involved in, eventually parents take over. This is sure true. I mean, not only take over, but they get fanatical about it. Their kid has got to win. I mean, he's got to win. Now, this is not true in all cases, unfortunately. The kids that lose are the ones that just did it. You know, they went out and they did the thing. But there's always, out of every group of ten kids, there's at least two who have parents that would give them the world with a fence around it if they could somehow arrange it. And they also have the money to back it up. <laughs> they ain't going to let no kid beat uh, Ricky. No way. Uh, and and I, I, I ran into this, you see. It, it, it began my knowledge of this kind of thing. I, I must be pretty naive. I think most of us are. Most people, when they get a, when they get a, a set of rules, they really do buy them. Has it occurred to you that there's two kinds of people in this world, the guys that, that fill out the forms right and then the other ones? Guess who wins? Well, I, I how this soapbox therapy thing came about, I, I've never told this story on the air because it's never occurred to me to tell it. It's just one of those things, you know, when you're a kid, you're involved in a lot of things. And, and uh, for, for just this brief three-year period, every, well, three years, it was three seasons you didn't do it all year. It was just, you know, in the summertime they had the soapbox derby contest, and, and every year for three years, me and Schwartz and Flick and Broner got into this thing. Well, how it started was there was a big ad in the local paper. First time I've heard of it, you know, the great big ad said, uh, uh, build a soapbox derby entry, uh, kids, have fun, uh, build your own car, and uh, and win a scholarship and win this fantastic number of prizes. You can win tremendous 10-speed bikes and all that stuff. And it says, uh, win a trip to Akron, Ohio, where you can be in the finals. And it was all excitement. See, and, and at that time, it was involved with the Chevy dealer. You had to go down. Yes, it was Chevy that started this whole thing. Yes, originally. General Motors and Chevy. And how I know about it is because to get into this thing at that time, at least in my town, you had to go down to the Chevy dealer which was right down the street. They had a big Chevy agency down there. And go in and get a blank that you fill out. Now, part of the blank, it tells you how old you are. You know, you had to be, I think you had to be 12 or under, something like that. You, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't spend more than uh, like $40, I believe. You couldn't spend more than $40 on building a car. Uh, so, so no kid can go out and spend $12 million on building a car and all that. So uh, you were supposed to build it yourself. It says that you cannot get help from adults to build a car. The car has to be designed and built and uh, driven by a kid. Now, if you don't know what a soapbox derby entry is, it's a car that runs on gravity. It does not run with a motor. And it runs downhill, and when you race, it's simply, you know, and, and you don't get a push either. Remember that. It's not one of these things where your kid pushes another kid down, he goes like hell, and if you get a good pusher, you win. But the cars are started by gravity. They stand on a hill, and uh, the, the race is, one, is run on a hill. It's like a, a, a I think, grade, something like that. They have to pick a hill that's roughly that. And they line the cars up. And here you are, you're sitting on this hill. And then at the, at the, when they shoot the gun off and they drop the ribbon, 
you release the brake on your car. Your car has a little brake on it that you, just holds the wheel. And you start rolling downhill. Well, uh, the object, of course, is to, is to uh, give uh, as little wind resistance as you can. You know, you duck down under this thing and you start rolling slower, you know, and faster and faster and faster. And there's about seven or eight kids on each side of you. They're all rolling down the hill. And the first one down across the finish line, which is a pretty good distance. It's like uh, half a mile or so, maybe, uh, maybe a quarter of a mile, something like that, is the winner of that heat. Well, then you go against guys that have won the race, the earlier races, until finally there's one winner. And then eventually you go on to Akron if you, if you keep winning. Well, it's really exciting. See? The first time we entered this thing, it's really exciting. We went down to the Chevy dealer and we got the, we got the, uh, forms, took them back, me and Schwartz, and Flick and all. So we decided what we were going to do is we were going to build a car. Us, instead of having each one of us have a car, we were going to all build this car together, me and Schwartz and Flick and, and Bruner. And we filled out the forms, and we decided to get the littlest guy to ride in it, see, because you, you wanted to keep the weight down. We knew that even then. So Bruner was the littlest guy, so Bruner is going to ride in the car, right? So <laughs> we worked on that thing. Now, to get, it, to get the wheels to begin with, uh, where do you get wheels? Well, there were a lot of kids. You know, we had stuff in the basement, you know. Some guys had uh, had uh, wagons and stuff like that. And there were rules regarding how big around the wheels could be. Various rules about how big they could be, what kind of what kind of axles. And uh, we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't find any wheels like that. So we went down to the to the dump. Me and Schwartz and Flick one day, and we spent an entire day down at the dump. Now at the dump, can't you remember the dump? There's all kinds of stuff that you find at the dump that have wheels on them. <laughs> I'm telling you that the one thing that is really that is really plentiful at dumps are wheels. All kinds of wheels, buggies, millions of busted-up buggies, uh, strollers, uh, wagons, kids' wagons, scooters, all kinds of stuff thrown away that have wheels on them. You wear that? even including a lot of car wheels that are, you find in dumps. Well, we're looking for wheels. We just keep looking. And finally, we found two really great wheels, terrific wheels, uh, from, from some buggy there. They were wire wheels. And uh, being kids, of course, we didn't think in terms of weight or anything. We just thought they were great looking. They were chrome. You know, they were great looking wheels. See? So we, we found these two wheels, and we could not find two other wheels to match them. So we decided what we're going to do is have these two great wheels on the back and we're going to use a, another pair of wheels which are like second-rate wheels, but uh, the best we could find, on the front of the car. Had an idea if to put them in the back they were somehow, would it make you go faster, right? So we built this car. Now, how we built it, I will, I will give you a brief technical description of it. We got a two-by-four which Flick had a pile of in the back of his garage. We got a 2x4, and we took one 2x4 as the length of the car. Like, you see what I mean? Just that was like ran down the entire length of the car. And we nailed across the back of the 2x4 a cross piece, which made it look you know, an axle-like, you know, made it look like a, look like a cross, this 2x4. And on the front, we took... We bored a hole. We took a, took a drill, and we bored a hole through the top 2x4 and 
lowered another hole through the two-by-four that we used as a cross piece there. It was like the steering gear. And we got a stove bolt down at the hardware store, which we got for 12 cents. It was a big bolt, a big black bolt, with a bolt on it, see, with a nut on it, with a couple of washers. And we put that bolt through this thing, and we, we put three-in-one oil in it so you could turn it. See? Okay. <laughs> now you're beginning to see. See? All right. Well, now you had to have a body, see, so that was, that was really a problem. So we, we, uh, we figured the best thing to do is to, is to make this as light as we could make it. We, we were figuring that, uh, that if we could get some very light wood, we could make this body. So we went down to, to uh, Aschenschlager's grocery stores, <laughs> and they had all kinds of crates and jazz down there. And so we got some orange crates. You know how orange crates look with these slats like? Well, we took a whole bunch of these orange crates, and we actually built a, uh, we put a, made a little frame, and we built this body out of these thin orange crates. And we were really proud of our car. We had these wheels. We took two, uh, two axles, one in the front, one in the back, which we took off a buggy we found in the dump. And now it had wheels, four wheels. The brake was simply a piece of wood, which we put on the back cross piece, so when you pushed it forward, it would rest on the wheel, so you couldn't, you couldn't, it wouldn't go then, or theoretically, right? Now, how we steered it? Very simple. We just put two ropes that came up, a rope, actually like a set of reins that came up inside the body so that the kid sitting in there would just pull these two ropes, see, and it would steer. Well, we, we, we sandpapered it. <laughs> yeah, this is what we did. We sandpapered this thing. We, you know, we figured it was going to really make it look good. See, we sandpapered it. And, uh, you know, how can you sandpaper uh, orange crate slats very well? See, but we, we, we sandpapered as best we could. Now, Flick, again, it was Flick. He had a garage. His old man had a garage full of all kinds of junk. Uh, Two-by-fours, ladders, uh, chrome polish, and all that jazz he had in the back there. Well, we found a can of paint. It was apple green. It said on it, apple green. It said apple green enamel, right? Uh, Woolworth. It was apple green Woolworth enamel. Four-hour Woolworth enamel. And it said apple green. I remember the color. Well, we said, gee, that's a great color. So we'll take this apple green paint. And it was real thick. It, was, it had been in the garage, like, for about five years. You know, this big, it was a big half-gallon can of this paint. It was real thick. I remember it was, it was really thick, like, uh, like it came out like syrup or something. So we figured we'd better... We better uh, thin that down. Now, remember what we did. We did not ask anybody. Uh, the idea of going to ask my old man how to build this thing would have been completely... Because the rule said you had to do it without any adult help. So being a typical uh, latent victims, we believed in that. We believed that that was right. So don't ask, you know. We even worried about asking Flick's father if we could use the apple green paint. But we figured we better ask him that or Flick's really going to get hell, you know, for using up this paint. So we, we took the paint. And uh, it was really thick, so we couldn't figure out what to do with it. Well, we didn't know anything about thinners, that kind of stuff. So we figured the way you thin paint is you put some water in it. So we <laughs> mixed water in it. It's all kinds of bubbles and stuff, you know. Well, we didn't know, so we painted this thing, and it was the most obscene color of green, even to this day. You know, I, 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 when I think of that racer... It causes a little problem with the stomach. It, it, it reminded you of something that a goat would come up with after he's eaten five Brillo pads, you know. <laughs> I, 
it was truly goat vomit green. And so we painted this thing. Well, we were so proud of it, but the one thing that we, we never figured out was that it never dried. We'd mixed water or something with this damn paint, and it was always wet. It, it constantly would make uh, green paint on your hands. After about two weeks, it still was wet. So we painted a number on the side, and we figured that, that you know, we are going to have a really great number. So I was in, and as was Schwartz, as was Flick, as was Bruner, we were in a Boy Scout troop, and the troop was, num- was number 41. We were in troop 41. So we figured, well, you know, this is what we ought to, we ought to have this number, so we'll paint that on the side. So we painted a big 41 in white paint on the side. We bought some white paint down at the hardware store, one of these little tiny cans, and we painted 41. Now, figure it out. We've spent like uh, 48 cents for the paint. We, uh, we didn't spend anything for the green paint. We had to buy the, the white paint. Uh, we, spent, uh, we spent 12 cents for the bolt, for the front of the thing. Uh, we also, by the way, we had to buy we had to buy the axles. We, we we found the axles, but we had to get them cut. They weren't the right length. So where do we take them to get them cut? Well, we took them down to the lumber yard, and down there they would cut stuff for you. So it cost us about fifty cents to have these things cut off. And he drilled a hole in each end for for the cotter pin. See, okay. <laughs> so so our total investment, which we thought was unbelievably much, we really thought we were putting in money into this thing was something like, uh, you know, two dollars and a half, which was a lot of money, really. So we filled out our forms. We're all ready to go. Well, now the big day arrived. We had pushed our, our, our you know, pushed our racer up and down, and, and Bruner practiced sitting in this thing looking real low. We'd push him down down the hill around the house. He actually rolled, you know. He'd roll down a hill, see. And it looked really good. We put three-in-one oil on the, on the uh, wheels. It would roll. Well, that big day came, and it was, it was going to be on a Saturday, and we were supposed to bring our racer down to this big park right in the center of town, and it was a hill that went right through the park, just a low, gradual road that went through, just a very gradual hill, you know, and that's where they were going to run this thing. You got it? Okay. So how the hell do you get this thing to the, to the park? It was about four miles to the park. So we did what... You know, kids are very direct. We pushed it. Bruner got in, and <laughs> we pushed it all the way to the park, four miles. Well, we, we got it there, and, and uh, there was a lot of people around there. Everybody's milling around. We didn't have any idea that there would be this many. We figured there'd just be about nine or ten kids, you know. We had no idea it was as big as it was. And now we see there's about 500 people all standing along this hill. And uh, they've got the... They've got all the applications. We've sent in the application, you know, and everybody's numbers. So we go up to the to the judge there. There's about seven big, tall, grown-up men wearing hats. It said official. And we go up to him, and and uh, he says, uh, oh, he said, uh, excuse me one moment. I'll uh, check your name off on the list here. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, yes, here we have a, yes, here you are. Uh, you'll be in the second heat. Uh, you'll be in the second heat. You'll be in lane two. And uh, you say your uh, car is number uh, named 41. All the other kids had names like Green Bullet, Red Racer, you know, uh, the Green Hornet. They all had great names. We had number 41. So <laughs> already, you know, we could... And I couldn't believe what I see. There must have been about 25 cars there. I couldn't believe that kids could build cars like this. There was one car... Listen to this one. There was one car that was made entirely out of thin aluminum that was stretched aluminum, polished. It looked like a needle. 
magnificent. And it was all sanded down, and it had this... You know how when metal is worked with a, with a router, it gets these little, this little milled... It was all milled beautifully, polished and sanded. It had these magnificent, thin, very, very thin wheels. And here's this little kid, you know, he's about 11, standing beside his car, you know, the silver bullet and the magnificent car, and always growing up, it's all around there. Well, the first heat was run. They put six cars across the road there, and we're waiting with old number 41. I, I, I have to say this now, looking back on it, number 41 must have weighed at least three-quarters of a ton. Well, <laughs> the first race was run, the first heat, and these six kids got into their cars, and out of the six kids, there were at least four kids that had cars that looked worse than 41. And they were, you know, dumb-looking kids like there was a, b- a bunch of kids from Troop 6 that had their big, fat old car there, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, zap, this one kid, he's got this magnificent gold-flake-colored car. It looks like it's made out of Japanese balsa wood, magnificently carved and beautifully polished and honed. This kid gets in the car, and they they wait, and boom, off goes the gun. That guy, I couldn't believe it. He went down that hill. He was going faster than Schwartz and me and Flick could push Bruner, all four of us running like hell. He just went down that hill like you wouldn't believe it. He went faster than my old man's holes. Well, the second heat was run. And now we are up. We're in the second lane, and me and Flick and Schwartz, we get the car near, and Bruner's looking real nervous. And by the way, they gave all of us a T-shirt. That was what was great. Why we really went into it. We all got a free T-shirt down at the Chevy agency that said Soapbox Derby Contestant. And it had a picture of the soapbox thing with a helmet, you know, and a whole bit. And, you know, we were all wearing our jerseys. We thought we were really great. And so Bruner gets into the car, and he crouches down. Next to us is a car that was painted a kind of a dull orange color and had green wheels, really a rotten-looking car. But down at the end is this magnificent machine that was gold flake. And it, it, again, it looked like a, like a, like a long, drawn-out, thin, magnificently designed egg. And we're waiting, all excited. This is the first moment of competition. Boom! Off goes the gun. Well, I tried it. You know, I, I, I just, let, let the brake go. Bruner, let it go! And Bruner's got a hold of the brake, see? And the nail stuck. He couldn't get it loose. Let it go! And the cars are all rolling. So he finally gets it off, and he just sits there. <laughs> It didn't roll. It just stayed there. So it's a burner. Move forward. Move, come on, burner. The burner jerks like that forward, and it slowly starts to roll. I would say number 41 had moved possibly three to four feet when the golden dagger, which was on the outside lane, was already crossing the winning line, and the kid was being carried away on the crowd's shoulders. We had worked all summer on this. Well, of course, the final day, the final grace of the day was between the silver bullet and the golden dagger. And it was a tough race. One kid beat out the other kid by about a quarter of an inch. They went down that thing about 70 miles an hour. I thought there was going to be gunplay. People were yelling and screaming. At that point, when me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner pushed our cars back home, we had realized a deep and basic truth. There's always somebody ahead of you, friends. 
And he's got more dough. He's got a bigger crowd of parents around him. And it ain't what you know or how hard you work. I'll just let you fit that in yourself. If you want to find something out, you got to ask tough questions. And we want to find something out. Do you know you're probably drinking the wrong beer? Do you know there's a beer so good some people won't drink any other kind? Do you know this great beer's name is Ballantine? Does that surprise you? Why not try a Ballantine today? We can ask tough questions about beer because we've got the answer. The only answer. Ballantine. Yeah, the only answer, man. That's Ballantine. Brewed by the Ballantine Brewing Company of Cranston, Rhode Island. Oh, we have a note here. Uh, the American Golf and Tennis Club, it's a big deal, announces us, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, announces a special package for WOR listeners this weekend only. 18 holes of golf with golf carts, all for $60 for a foursome. Now, that the cost is $60 for a foursome. That's Saturday, tomorrow. And, listen to this, a corn roast and evening buffet barbecue dinner, barbecue dinner is included. All for the $60. Uh, you better call them. Man, if you want to play golf over the weekend, it's a good deal. The uh, phone number is 914. That's the area code, 914. That's Yonkers. Area 914, uh, 969-7200 for a starting time and your reservations. You have to make a reservation. Again, that's area code 914, 969-7200. $60 for a foursome, including a barbecue and a corn roast and and including golf carts and the whole bit. So give them a call. Incidentally, when you call them, you should ask them about uh, uh, information about the uh, memberships in the club, too. So give them a call. We'd like to recommend the bottle of Red Beaujolais by Alexis Lachine. It's a magnificent red wine. And uh, one of the great things about it, not only is it a good wine imported from France, but uh, they have not increased their price. And that's important to know. Alexis Lachine Beaujolais is the perfect summer drink the elegant French wine. You'll enjoy your summer, what's left of it, a whole lot more with Alexis Lachine Beaujolais, the anytime wine imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York, Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine, Don't ask me about the next year. The next year was even worse. <laughs> For three straight years. And do you know, I'm going to I'm going to confess something to you. And I, 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 I'm just going to have to confess something to you. That, uh, that a couple of years ago, I'm back out in the great vast wilds of the Midwest. My mother says, hey, I got all kinds of stuff, she said. Uh, it's down in the basement. Uh, I don't know whether I should throw this stuff away or not. It's uh, stuff you had when you were a kid. I don't know whether you ever read my story that I wrote in Playboy about looking at all the junk you had once when you were a kid and recognizing it. Well, she had this great big box of stuff under the basement stairs. And right there in the middle of all that stuff is my soapbox derby t-shirt. I still have it. <laughs> oh, that symbol of defeat. 
I might also say that symbol of one of the great educational moments in my life. I learned that there's nothing like a daddy with big, shiny teeth and thick glasses and a brokerage office downtown to make it easy to win almost any damn thing you want, including the prom queen. Bring it up there, Lawrence, Joe. <laughs> you agree? Like cream, big money will always rise to the top. I just made that up. That's kind of good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. 